Well, with that said, if you'd open up your Bibles tonight to John chapter 16, I want to draw your attention to verse 5 as we are looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this is our second study in this series of messages. And beginning in verse 5, Jesus said, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we do thank you this evening once again for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, to consider the person, the work of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would, as you've been so faithful to do, open up our understanding that we might comprehend the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we began a brand new series of studies on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And we started considering together who the Holy Spirit is. We looked, first of all, at his deity, meaning that the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity, and he has all the attributes that are found in the Father and the Son. We noted last week that he is omniscient. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 reveal this. He knows everything. He cannot learn anything. It is the Spirit alone that searches the deep things of God. Not only is he omniscient, but he is omnipresent. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, he is everywhere at once. There is nowhere that you could go to get away from the Spirit of God. He's everywhere all the time. He encompasses the entire universe as we know it. He is also omnipotent, all-powerful. Luke chapter 1, verses 35 through 36. There is nothing impossible for the Spirit of God. That's a good word tonight to be reminded of that. There are many things that are impossible for you and for me but there's nothing impossible for the Spirit of God. He is also sovereign. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. He has a divine plan. He has a purpose. He is in control of every situation. He is sovereign. He is also eternal. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 through 15 reveals that he has always existed. There was never a time when the Spirit of God did not exist because he's God. Then we looked at the places in Scripture where the Holy Spirit was referenced symbolically. He is referred to symbolic of wind and breath, the Bible tells us. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and also in John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He was also symbolized in fire, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist talked about that he would baptize with water, but there was one coming after him who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit was also symbolic of water in John chapter 7, 
In verses 37 through 39, that Jesus stood up on the last day of the feast and said, if there's anybody thirsty among you, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow torrents of living water. This he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Living water. The Spirit of God was also symbolically spoken of in oil. You remember, every time someone was anointed, whether it was a priest, whether it was a judge, whether it was a king or a prophet, they would anoint them with oil, symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit. The lamps that were to keep burning within the tabernacle and eventually into the temple, they they were kept burning by the oil that was symbolic there of the work of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we saw him referred to as like a dove. On the day that Jesus was baptized, it says that the Father spoke, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father was there, the Son was there, and the Holy Spirit was there. It says he descended upon him like a dove. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. But then we also looked at the Holy Spirit's personality. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a cosmic force. Rather, He is a person. We know this because, for one thing, he can be grieved. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, warns against grieving the Holy Spirit. There are times in our lives when our actions are not consistent with the nature of Christ, and it grieves the Spirit of God. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Not only can he be grieved in his personality, but he can also be quenched. There is a warning in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 19, not to quench the work of the Holy Spirit. When you give into the flesh, when, you, when we live a life after the flesh, it quenches the work that the Spirit of God desires to do in and through our lives. Don't quench the Spirit. The Holy Spirit can also be lied to in his personality. You remember in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira stood before Peter, And Peter told them, you haven't lied to man. You've actually lied to God, God the Holy Spirit. He can not only be lied to, but he can be resisted. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen pointed this out during his sermon that the people were resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit seeks to convict or the Spirit seeks to draw a person to Christ, but you can resist that. You can fight against that if you want, but don't resist the Holy Spirit. And finally, we saw that the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. Mark chapter 3 in verse 28. Now that we've considered who the Holy Spirit is, and we are better acquainted with what the scriptures teach concerning his deity and personality, this evening we want to focus our attention on what the Holy Spirit does. What he does. What is his role? What is his job? What is he involved with? And the Bible reveals several things that the Holy Spirit is doing within the world and within the life of the believer. First of all, you can observe the work of the Holy Spirit in the material universe. The Bible tells us this. The creation of the material universe and man is affected by the Holy Spirit. Psalm 33, verse 6, says it this way. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. We know that the Holy Spirit was involved with creation of the material universe. The Bible says in Genesis that the Spirit hovered over the waters. He was there in the beginning. He helped create the material universe. But also, Job said, as it relates to man, in Job 33, verse 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Holy Spirit's involvement in the creation of the material universe, in the creation of man, and also the sustaining of the universe right now, even as we are here at the present time. The Holy Spirit is involved. But we also find, as we read a moment ago there in John 16, of the Holy Spirit's involvement within this world. Let's reference it again. And when he has come, that is the Holy Spirit, this is what he's going to do. Notice, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, 
to come. First of all, the conviction of sin. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit and he would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And what we see in this verse is a threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit in relation to the unsaved world. The Holy Spirit, it's his job, it's his role to convict people of their sin, to reprove them, to reveal where it is they've gone astray, where they are wrong. And he targets these areas of sin, righteousness, and judgment. First of all, the word translated convict means commonly to demonstrate by argument, to prove, to persuade anyone to do a thing by presenting reasons. It further means to convince of anything in particular, to convince of a crime. This is what the meaning is here. The Holy Spirit will convince or convict the world of sin. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to bring to our awareness, our need for a savior. He accomplishes this by bringing a conviction of sin. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, verse six, and this includes everybody, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're all sinners, in other words. Isaiah reveals that. But then in Proverbs, twice it says, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, as well as Proverbs 16, verse 25, that there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end, its end is the way of death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And as the truth of the gospel is presented, the Holy Spirit humbles us to see that we are guilty of sin, that we are lost and need to be saved. An example of this. You remember on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, Peter preached this powerful sermon on the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he had completed his message, having preached the word, the Bible says in Acts chapter two, verse 37, when they heard this, notice they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What was it that cut them to the heart? It was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit making application of the word of God that was presented that brought conviction of their sin to where they came to this place and they said, what do we need to do to get right with God? What do we need to do to be saved? And Peter led them to the Lord and 3,000 people were convicted of their sin and responded to the gospel and were saved. Folks, as a pastor, can I just tell you tonight that I am so grateful that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin. It's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now, sometimes we wanna be the Holy Spirit in someone's life, but that's not, that job is already taken. You're not the fourth member of the Trinity because then it wouldn't be a Trinity. But, but the point is this, it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin. And he just does it. Sometimes when you, you don't even realize it, he convicts of sin. Now let me add that concerning the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the response to the conviction of, of the Holy Spirit will not always be a positive one. Ah, here in Acts chapter 2, it was. They repented. Ah, but if you go just a few more chapters to Acts chapter 7, it was a different response. In fact, you remember when Stephen was preaching, again, another powerful sermon, and as they were listening, it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, notice their response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord and then cast him out of the city and stoned him. Completely different response. They, both groups were convicted. One group repented and was saved. The other group uh, put to death the messenger. So we're always aware of what's going on here at the church when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. If anybody runs to the front with ears stopped, with, we just, 
We seize them. Uh, we, in love, we lay hands on them and pray. But anyhow, you see two reactions to the work of the Holy Spirit, to the conviction. And listen, these are two reactions that happen today. There will be people that come into this place, for example, and maybe they were invited for the first time by, uh, you're a friend, you brought them and they're sitting here and, and the word of God is being presented. I've never met them. I don't know who they are, but the, the, we're reading from the word. The word is going forth. The spirit of God is convicting their heart and they're thinking, am I the only person in here? And why does he keep looking at me? And how come this is happening? And what did you tell him about before I got here? That's messed up. I'm never going back there. Why, why do they say that? Because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's, just, it's something the spirit of God does. I saw you were looking at me today, Pastor. Where were you sitting? I didn't even know you were. You were looking at me the whole time. I actually, I wasn't. But the Holy Spirit making conviction, bringing conviction. The work of the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. But I'll tell you something else. The Holy Spirit not just con doesn't just convict the world of sin. Ah, but the Holy Spirit can convict the believer of sin. If you walk in the Spirit, if you're sensitive to the Spirit... There's times when you, you get convicted as a Christian. Hey, that was, you know, the spirit just kind of still small, sweet. Hey, that was not, uh, that, that was not me. That, you need to repent of that, John. All right. You know, you get convicted by the spirit and you can respond to it or you can resist it. Has the spirit been speaking to you? Are you responding to it or are you rejecting it? The conviction of the Holy Spirit. But also the job of the Holy Spirit, not just to convict, the world of sin, but also it says of, in verse 10, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. He convicts the world of sin, but also he convicts the world of righteousness. There is only one form of righteousness that will be accepted before God, and that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's only one person who came down from heaven, lived a sinless perfect life who ascended back to heaven, and that's Jesus. The Bible says concerning our righteousness, independent of Jesus, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 says this, but we all are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, like filthy rags, we fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's what our righteousness looks like on our own. It's filthy rags. In addition to that, the Bible tells us the fate of the unrighteous. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? When Jesus was speaking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, it must have absolutely stunned them when he announced in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds, goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Must have shocked them. They didn't know anybody more outwardly righteous than the religious leaders. Jesus wasn't talking about the mere outward form of righteousness or form of godliness. He was talking about something that was internal. The righteousness of Christ, that's the only thing that the Father accepts. So the Holy Spirit makes us aware of the fact that we're not right with God. And we need to be made right with God. And that's through the righteousness that's provided in Christ. In order to enter the kingdom of heaven, there, there is the need for righteousness. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit in the world is to reveal that we need the only righteousness that God will accept. And that righteousness comes by faith in Christ. But also the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is Judged. I like that verse personally. When Jesus speaks of the judgment here, he isn't referring to the coming judgment of the world, although the Bible does reveal there is coming judgment upon the world. There will be a day of reckoning. In this context, he mentions the judgment that has come to the ruler of this world. Who's the ruler of this world? Who's the prince of the power of the air? Who's the one who's behind the wickedness and evilness of the world system? The devil. And the ruler of this world, judgment has come upon him. When did this judgment take place? It took place at 
the cross. At the cross, he was defeated. One day, he's going to be placed into the lake of fire forever, the Bible says. The God of peace, the scriptures say, will soon crush Satan under your feet. What a day that will be. But he triumphed over the devil at the cross. How do we know that he triumphed over him? Because the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2, in verse 13 through 15, it says this, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, and here it is, he's disarmed. He's disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That is in the cross. The ruler of this world has been judged. Ultimately, he is a defeated foe. It was there at Calvary that Jesus defeated and triumphed over principalities and powers. One day, the Lord will redeem the earth fully and put a complete end to the powers of darkness. But until that day, the Holy Spirit witnesses this, that we don't have to live under the bondage of sin any longer, under the rule of Satan. He has no rightful claim upon our lives if we're in Christ. We have been set free because Jesus died to liberate us from the powers of darkness. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, the Bible says, and into his kingdom of light. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to this fact. So the work of the Holy Spirit in the world Convicts the world of sin, convicts the world of righteousness that the Father requires, and of the judgment of the ruler of this world that you can be free. This is the work of the Holy Spirit within the world. But the Holy Spirit also works in the life of the believer. Amen? First of all, we are, number one, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Why don't you turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1? And here's where you can see this for yourself. Ephesians chapter 1. And look at what it says there in verse 13. We are sealed. In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also, having believed, here it is, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. In ancient times, a seal, as is mentioned here, was a mark or a symbol of ownership. If a ship was coming into port with cargo, the cargo would have a seal placed upon it, a stamp upon it, revealing who it belonged to. When we come to faith in Christ, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit seals us. We are God's property, his seal placed upon us. We are children of God. His stamp of ownership, in other words, has been placed upon us. In writing to the Corinthians, Paul said this concerning our relationship to the Holy Spirit. He said in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? For we were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are the property, the possession of, of God the Father. And it's interesting because this, not, not only that, but we, we also are the temple of the Holy Spirit where he chooses to dwell. And when it says that this is a guarantee, some translators will translate this as the earnest of our inheritance. What, is, what does that mean? The Holy Spirit seals us. It's a guarantee. It's the earnest of our inheritance. If you were going to purchase, let's say, for example, a home, or a car, or something like that, some, some possession, and you made an offer, you would have to put money up front or money down as earnest money. This is guarantee that you are going to come back and you are going to purchase the rest of it. It would hold it. It would be earnest. It would be a guarantee. 
The Holy Spirit is like that in our lives. The Holy Spirit, we belong to the Lord. He's coming for, for the rest of us. He's coming for us. But we've been sealed until that day, until he comes for us. It's also likened to an engagement ring. When a man gives a woman an engagement ring, he's saying, I want to marry you. Not a promise ring, an engagement ring. When he gives her that, that's the earnest up front. I'm, I'm going to meet you at the altar and we are going to be married. That's the purpose of it. The Holy Spirit's like the engagement ring to the believer. We belong to the Lord. We're his. He's coming for us. His bride. He sealed us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed by the Lord. You belong to him. It's important to remember that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's important. What, what do I do with this temple? If this is a place where the Lord dwells, what's inside of this temple? What is there that, is there anything there that would quench the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do with this vessel, with this temple where he dwells? Or does he have free access to all there is of my heart and of my life? The Holy Spirit seals us, but also the Holy Spirit, folks, instructs us. He teaches us. Turn in your Bible to John 14. John chapter 14. Turn those pages. Use that Bible. Exercise your fingers and your mind. John 14. And look at what it says, beginning in verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you. Verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Here we have a twofold work of the Holy Spirit, teaching and bringing back to our remembrance the things which Jesus had taught and said. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit in working in the life of the believer is to teach us God's word, to lead us, as Jesus would say in John 16, into all truth. God wants to speak to you personally as you read from his word. He wants to reveal more of his love for you, more of his plan for you. And as you open your Bible and you read your Bible, the Spirit of God is going to make application from the Word of God. He speaks, he teaches through the Word. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes things become clear. It's amazing when you read through the Bible just devotionally. Through the, and I would encourage you to do so. There's a lot of great Bible apps. I get it, and things with great... Those are great, those are great starters, those are great supplemental things, but there's nothing like just reading through the word of God and asking the Holy Spirit to help you understand what it says. And before I read God's word, I pray and I ask the Lord, Lord, help me to see what you want me to see today. Lord, I, I don't, sometimes I feel like I'm not really sure how this applies, but I'm a whole, it's your word. And so I, I just, I highlight things, underline things, write things down that, that apply. And the Holy Spirit helps me to understand. You might find that when you sit down to read devotionally, that later on in the day, you can't recall, what did I, what did I read? I think it was scripture, but I can't remember what it was. That's why it's important to share it with someone else. It helps you remember it when you read it, you write it, and then you share it. It's, it's a great way to have it solidified in your own heart. Um, but there's times when you don't, you don't remember what it is you, you read and then maybe a few days later, you'll be in a conversation and suddenly, there it is. You remember what it was. You have something to recall because something was sewn into your heart when you read it. You'll have nothing to recall if you put nothing in. You remember, John said to the church that he was writing to, 1 John chapter 2, in verse 26 27, he said, these things I've written to you concerning those who tried to deceive you. And John went on to say, but the anointing, 
which you received from him abides in you. And you don't need anyone that they should teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning these things. John was talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is able to help you identify what the word of God says and also to point out deception when it comes because you're handling the truth, because you're studying the word. When something is, just doesn't sound right, something in your heart, will just, it's like a, like a flare going off or a red flag. Somebody says something and you think, I, I don't, that isn't, I don't know, I don't know about that. You ever had that experience? Hopefully not here, but the other places. Because <laughs> we try to stick as close to the Bible as we can. But if it does happen here, come tell me. Be a Berean, search the scriptures, see if these things are so. Call me out and I'll repent and make sure that I'm accurate. But there are times when you see things or hear somebody say, you know, some, something they'll say in Christianese and you just think, I don't think that's, that's not Bible. I can't find that. That sounds good. That sound, but I don't, I can't. Listen, we need to be more fair-minded like the Bereans. They studied the scriptures to see if these things were so. Check it out. Make sure it's accurate. And if it doesn't seem right, maybe you're uninformed or maybe you are informed and the spirit of God is saying, don't listen to what that guy's saying because it's off. And I mean way off. Or what that woman is saying, really off, you know, in a sense. I mean, they just, they're out there. These are things, and a lot of times they're on television. <laughs> Why the long pause? I don't know. I'm just so grateful for the instruction provided by the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. That's, that's the point I really want to make. Holy Spirit teaches us, He instructs us. Luke 24, verse 45. I, can I just tell you, I love this passage of scripture. This ministers to me so personally. It says, concerning Jesus to his disciples, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. That, that's what I pray for. That's what I pray for what goes on here. That's what I pray for what goes on in my own heart. Lord, open my understanding that I might comprehend the scriptures. And how does that work? The Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit instructs. The Holy Spirit's the one that highlights verses. When things, you're reading through something and something jumps out on the page, off the page, you know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So just, just know, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. He's seeking to draw your attention to something. Pray, pause, wait, pray about it. See what that, study, maybe look something up, but, but that's the Holy Spirit drawing attention to something because he wants to instruct us. The Bible tells us that the Spirit reveals to us even some of the deep things of God which are hidden and that are foolish to the natural man. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter two as it relates to the Spirit of God instructing us. And, and it says, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. It hasn't entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But listen to this. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God. Why? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Listen to that. The Spirit of God reveals to us even some of the deep things that I don't, I don't naturally understand. He reveals them to us, and he also reveals to us the things that have been freely given to us by God. The work of the Spirit of God in instructing the believer. Are you listening? Are you open to him speaking to you? Now listen, when it comes to the Spirit of God speaking to us, I personally have never heard an audible voice. And people have told me in the past, I heard an audible voice. So I say, awesome. I've never had that happen. But, but it's, it's when the Spirit of God is speaking to my heart, if I'm reading through the Word of God, usually it's in my own voice, as it were, but, but something is being highlighted from the Scriptures. The other day, I was reading through a passage of Scripture in Isaiah that was ministering to me so personally. It was something that God had spoken to me years earlier. You, you ever have those moments where God just impresses something upon your heart and you, you date it, you write it. It's like, I, I know that was for me. I don't know how this f is fulfilled. And then God confirmed that it was for you. And I, you know, it's just one of those things. You can't, the wind goes where it goes, right? You don't fully understand it, but you receive it and you're grateful for it. And then 
as I read it again, the Lord was ministering to my heart and, and just reminding me of what he said. And, and even just uh, the other night, and sometimes this happens not often, and I, I just felt, I mean, I woke up. And I mean, woke up in, in the middle of the night. I mean, just like wide awake. You ever, you ever had that experience when you wake? Sometimes like, why am I awake? You know, or why, you know, you don't want to be awake. But this was like, I was, I was as awake. And I, and immediately I just prayed. I said, God, if you got something to say to me, like, go ahead and say it. Because I'm about to fall back asleep pretty soon. So, you know, <laughs> you got this much time, Lord, you know. And the Lord just, he just impressed upon my heart what he had spoken to me the day before. That passage of scripture came right back to my mind and the Lord made application. I mean, it's just, I, the spirit of God instructs us. That's what I'm trying to say to you. He's speaking, he's, he's instructing us. And so be open to him. Primarily he speaks through his word, guys. That's how he speaks to his people, through the word of God. But also the Holy Spirit not only seals us, not only does he instruct us, teaches us, reminds us of what Jesus said in his word, but also he sanctifies us, sanctifies us. Interesting word, sanctification. To sanctify someone or something is to set it apart for a specific purpose intended by the designer. The Lord sets us apart for his purposes. And through the process of sanctification, we are increasingly being changed from what we once were to what he's making us into. What we used to be like to be more like Jesus. And how does that happen? That happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. He does the work within us. The Bible says he puts it in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He began the good work in us. He will be faithful to complete the work in us. Three passages, at least of scripture, that in scripture that speak about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The first, Romans chapter 15 and verse 16, here's what it says. It says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Set apart by the Holy Spirit for a purpose. Folks, you've been set apart by the Holy Spirit for a purpose that God has for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 9, it says, again, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, what does it say? You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He's saying, listen, these people who practice such things, they're not going to be in heaven. And he said, and such were past tense, some of you. That's where we used to be. But now you've been, what, sanctified. How? By the work of the Holy Spirit. Set apart now for the purposes of God. And also the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, it says, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The Spirit of God seals us, instructs us, reminds us, and sanctifies us. He is doing a work within you. And it's not a work that happens overnight. That would be nice. It's actually a work that happens over time over a process. We have often said here before that justification is a miracle of a moment, but sanctification is the process of a lifetime where God is refining us and he uses all different things to, to refine us, uses people, uses circumstances to make us more like Jesus. You may, may be in a situation right now that is refining you. And you think, why is this happening? God is answering your prayer. He's making you more like Jesus. 
And he's using this to do it. I mean, this is, this is what God does. He sanctifies us for a purpose to make us more like himself. And there's no shortcuts to this. I think of the Apostle Paul as he was aware of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in his own life. In three different places, over a 13-year period of time, Paul made statements about himself. And each one seems to describe him as a greater sinner each time. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul said he was the least of the apostles. Then later on, in the, to writing to the Ephesians, some nine years later, he said that he was least of all the Lord's people. And then towards the end of his life, one of the last letters that he wrote to, first, uh, to Timothy, in 1 Timothy, he said that he was the chief of all sinners. I mean, you'd think, the, the, maybe shouldn't you be getting better? What was happening is Paul was getting closer and closer to Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize man, there's a lot more that needs to be done. I thought that you, you know, here's the thing. God doesn't show us everything that needs to change right up front because we couldn't handle it. It would be too much. We think the work is too great. It's not, I can't take it. So what God does is incrementally he changes and transforms us and makes us more like himself. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize, man, Lord, I'm thankful for the work you've done, but I realize there is much more work to be done. The Bible also tells us, not only does the Holy Spirit seal us and sanctifies and instructs us and also he comforts us. He's a comforter. In fact, turn in your Bible. If you're not there, you should be, just, you should be there. John 14, just go back a few pages in verse 15. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's important. You pause there. People say, I love Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, then you're going to do what I say. You're going to keep my commandments. A person that says, I love God, but doesn't keep his commandments or walk with him, you'd really question whether they loved him. Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. But then he says, and here's what I'm going to do. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. The word there is comforter. And that he may abide with you forever. Look down at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things. He'll bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. And then in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The word translated here for comforter, parakletos, it means one called alongside. The Holy Spirit is the one called alongside. One called to stand constantly by one side and who is ever ready to stand by us and take our part in everything in which his help is needed. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to come alongside of us. He is alongside of us. Think about it. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, they had Jesus. I mean, if they were in a storm, Jesus could you wake up and stop the storm? And he did. Jesus, we don't have food to feed these people. It's all right. What do you got? Just some fish and loaves. No problem. Jesus, this guy's blind. I got it. I mean, just everything they needed, he was there, available. So you can understand when he said, hey, guys, I'm leaving. They would be troubled. They would be concerned. Who are they going to go to? How are they going to find help? Who's going to come alongside of them when they need it? I mean, Jesus was there. We don't know how to pray. I'll teach you how to pray. Uh, what are we going to do? Jesus said, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. When I go away, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Jesus, today, He's gone to the Father. He's with the Father. And he hasn't left us alone. We have a person. 
that is just as divine, just as wise, just as strong, just as loving, just as compassionate, just as capable, just as ready and able to help as if Jesus himself were standing right here. And the Bible says he lives within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead The power of the Holy Spirit is within us. The Holy Spirit is with us, dwells within us. That's what the Bible says. And when you have an understanding of that, when you grasp the truth of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, let me tell you what that does. For one thing, it combats loneliness. A lot of people lonely today. But when you understand that the Holy Spirit is a person with you all the time, listen, that means you're never alone. Even when you are, you're not because the Holy Spirit is with you. So next time you feel alone, remind yourself and pray, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. Here we are. I mean, pray in that way. You are not alone. It combats loneliness. Furthermore, the knowledge of the presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives combats fear. Oh, people so afraid, so anxious, so overwhelmed with fear and intrepidation. Just can't move. I'm frozen. Listen, You have the Holy Spirit with you. So the next time you feel afraid, Holy Spirit, remind me of everything Jesus said. He said I wasn't to be afraid. Holy Spirit, remind me. I mean, just, you're not alone. It combats fear. It combats loneliness. Furthermore, it combats a broken heart. In this world, your heart can get broken through loss, through grief, through things that fall apart. I mean, it's just... You name it, the heart is is fragile in that sense and can be broken easily. And yet the Bible says he is near to those who have a broken heart. The Holy Spirit is with you to mend the broken heart. So you don't have to feel that way because he's right there, right there. Holy Spirit, remind me that you are here to mend this broken heart right now. This is painful, but you're talking to a person. Not to the air, not to some force, some phantom, to the person of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, when you understand the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, it impacts the way that you serve. I take great, I'm greatly thankful for this right here. I love what R.A. Torrey says, and I'll borrow it from him. He said, when the thought got possession of me that when I stood up to preach, there was another who stood by my side. That while the audience saw me, God saw him. And that the responsibility was all upon him. And that he was abundantly able to meet it and care for it all. And that all I had to do was to stand back as far out of sight as possible and let him do the work. To know, amen. (laughs) To know that you're not alone, that the person of the Holy Spirit, he is with you always. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm not leaving you orphans. I'm going to leave you the person of the Holy Spirit who will be with you. And yet Jesus said, you remember, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. And yet the person of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus said, they're one, but Jesus said the Holy Spirit is with you. So folks, it's my prayer tonight that the Lord would open our understanding to comprehend this truth concerning the person of the Holy Spirit and his presence with us. That you're comforted by that. 
And next time we're together, we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer, and that is in the empowering that he provides for us, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the person of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here tonight <laughs> living in us, among us, moving among us. And Lord, I pray for those who are seated here tonight who maybe came in here saying, I'm so lonely that they would know they're not alone. Lord, for those that say, I'm so fearful that they would know you're right there, Holy Spirit, right there with them. Lord, we pray that what we've learned this evening would be life-changing, Lord, in how we see living the Christian life. Lord, I pray for just a greater awareness of your presence. Not just when we're in church, Lord, but when we're out in the world. Lord, I also pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to open up our understanding as we read the word, that when we open the scriptures devotionally, that you would speak. Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. We would see the truth clearly. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and close in a chorus, shall we? Thinking of that song where we sing... And it's really a prayer. Let us become more aware of your presence. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Let, let, us, let us see you. Let us understand. And, and that should be the cry of our heart. I encourage you tonight, if you need prayer after the service, to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. If not, friend, when you leave here and you get in your car, you might, be, you might have drove here solo, but you're not alone. <laughs> And you might have your kids and think, I wish I was solo. It's so crazy in this car. These kids are screaming. Hey, you know what? Even in those moments, the Holy Spirit's there. Just start talking to him. Holy Spirit, could you calm the kids down? Because I don't know what to do. He's there. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. Look forward to being with you this weekend as we continue our study through the Word of God. Let's close on a song. God bless. Thank you.